Thank you very much, Jonathan, and thank you, David and Sarah, for your lovely prayers as well. I hope you're all having a good weekend. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Bex, and I'm one of the leaders here on staff at St. Saviour's. I oversee leadership development, women's ministry, and the prayer ministry team. Who enjoyed the snow on Monday? Yeah, a few big kids out there. Um, I have to say, coming from New Zealand, it was the first time that our boys had actually seen it snow properly, and it was so exciting for them. It was lovely to see. Later on, uh, on Monday, I um, came home from school, and I found Fred just standing, looking out of the window and shaking his head. And I said, Fred, Fred's my four-year-old, for those of you who don't know Fred. I said, Fred, what's, you know, what's going on? What's the matter? He said, Mummy, I don't understand. I prayed for the snow to stay, and it's all gone. And um, yeah, it was a little sad moment. And as Mike said earlier, today is um, the fourth week in our series on prayer. We've been basing this on the HTB series, and uh, that's based around the Lord's Prayer that Jonathan read so beautifully for us a moment ago. Um, so who can remember what we've looked at so far? It's a little memory test for you on a Sunday morning. I've got it written down, so I can check. <laughs> Does anyone want to volunteer? What have we looked at? What have been the sort of big themes? Adoration, that was week one, based on the verse, Our Father in Heaven. Week two, Petition, lovely, based on Give Us Today Our Daily Bread. Week three, Intercession. You have been listening. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and the, the intercession was based on the verse, Your Kingdom Come. And... Um, really, the last three weeks have been focusing on unanswered prayer, uh, sorry, on answered prayer. And um, what I wanted to uh, look at today is the other experience that Fred had on Monday when he prayed for that snow to stay, and it didn't. And have, have a look at unanswered prayer. Now, who here has had a prayer that hasn't been answered? Okay, some of you are not telling the truth. <laughs> I would say that's pretty much an experience that we um, all have. Uh, I remember when I was little, I prayed absolutely avidly for um, curly hair. But there you go. I still feel mixed about the results. I love curly hair, so there we go. So what I want to do today is focus on perseverance in prayer. Why doesn't God answer our prayers sometimes? How do we keep on going? You know, Sarah and David talked about persevering in prayer. How do we persevere when it just isn't working? How do we deal with those disappointments of not having our prayers answered? And the uh, passage or the verse from... Um, the Lord's Prayer um, that we're going to be using for, for today is Matthew 6, verse 10, your will be done. So that's the, the part of the prayer, your will be done. The first thing I want to say this morning is that unanswered prayer is normal. Most of the hands went up around the room when I asked if you'd had a prayer that hadn't been answered. And even Jesus experiences unanswered prayer, which I think is pretty extraordinary when you think about it. For example, you know, Jesus prayed that his global church, the church all around the world, would be united. Has that happened yet? <laughs> Not last time I looked. So um, the second reading we heard was from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 36. And this is another prayer of Jesus's. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's just before his execution. Remember, he prays, Abba, Father, Everything is possible from you. 
take this cup from me, yet not what I will, what you will. And of course, we know that this most uh, striking of prayers wasn't answered. So even Jesus experienced unanswered prayer. Mike and I um, went out to New Zealand about 12 years ago now, and that time leading up to going was the most extraordinary time of answered prayer. I, was, I had never been really more sure of my faith and who God was and his calling on my life and all those sorts of things. We had crazy answers to prayer in terms of a church building that we ended up in, the team that we took out with us, a worship leader, um, money coming in to support us, just to name a few of those answers to prayer. One of my personal prayers was for a good friend in New Zealand. I wanted a kindred spirit. It's important to um, all of us. So I couldn't believe it when one of my best friends um, called Hannah, um, who I'd sort of grown up with, um, told me she was moving to New Zealand and she was going to be there three months before me and she was going to be living there. I was completely um, stoked, to use a good New Zealand word. <laughs> um, our mums, who were also great friends, started planning a trip out to come and see us together. So Mike and I landed um, on the 5th of January. It was a lovely Auckland morning. Uh, and despite the crazy 24-hour flight, have any of you guys done that flight? Oh my goodness, try doing it with three small children and then complain about it. <laughs> but um, despite that crazy flight, I felt this amazing sense of coming home when we landed in New Zealand. And that sense that, you know, I was in exactly the right place. I was just where I was meant to be for that, for that moment. But then later that morning, um, the phone rang and it was my mum. And she had some terrible and shocking news for me, which was that my friend Hannah had gone missing uh, in a, on a helicopter trip in the South Island of New Zealand. And it had happened while we were flying from England to New Zealand, she'd gone missing. I prayed and pleaded with God for that helicopter to be found. And I prayed and pleaded for Hannah to be alive. It was a massive search for New Zealand. Um, there were over 3,000 hours of search and rescue um, flying time used up with helicopters and planes going over the area to uh, look for the helicopter. It was just the pilot and my friend Hannah. Um, there were more than 50 people on the ground every day, searching and searching. But after 10 days, uh, nothing had been found and uh, the helicopter had completely disappeared. Now, that's completely incomprehensible to us in England, that you could lose a helicopter. <laughs> but actually, the South Island of New Zealand, it's, there's, nobody lives um, in parts of it, and it's wild. And there's actually nine wrecks down there that they've never found a trace of. So they didn't find anything, and Hannah was presumed dead. So I went from the security and confidence of a God who answered prayers and who made his will known and who took us on amazing adventures to feeling completely um, at sea, really. Um, the search still continued at this point for the wreckage and for a crash site. And I prayed again, you know, God, please find this helicopter. Please let them find Hannah so that her family can have closure. But again, those prayers weren't answered and nothing was 
found. And I have to say that after a while, I stopped praying because um, it became too painful to have to deal with that sort of mini crises of faith that I had each time I prayed and nothing happened, as well as the trauma of living with the grief of losing um, my friend Hannah. Now, um, I'm aware many people suffer more than we do, and um, even through that period, even in my grief, I was really thankful for the life that I had and um, the the adventure we were on uh, in Auckland. I think we can think as Christians, can't we? You know, either if, if I become a Christian, everything will be fine, my life will be sorted out, I won't have any problems. Or as Christians, we can think, oh, if I just had a bit more faith, or if I read my Bible a bit more, um, life would be easy, it would all sort of fall into place. But Jesus didn't promise us a, a life that was free from trouble. Luke 9 verse 23 says, take up your cross and follow me. Not take up your place on the sofa, not take up your place on the golf course, not take up your Sauvignon Blanc and follow me, take up your cross. And actually, I don't know how often we stop and think about that, but that's quite a big, challenging idea for us. And the reality is, I think that everyone suffers disappointments and difficulties, and that that is a normal part of human experience, and it's also a normal part of the Christian experience. So unanswered prayer is normal. I think it's worth mentioning at this point that sometimes when we think about unanswered prayer, we go to those big things, don't we, the big tragedies. But actually, um, we all experience unanswered prayers for small, everyday things all the time. For our baby to sleep through the night, who doesn't? Has anyone had that experience? (laughs) My gosh, years of that. For a meeting to go well, and then it doesn't. Has anyone had that kind of experience? Yeah, lots of nods going on. You know, we might pray to be picked for a team, and that doesn't happen. And all of these things are disappointing. It's not only the big things. But if Jesus lived with unanswered prayer, and if the Bible can be honest about the struggle of faith, then I think as Christians, we need to be developing cultures of honesty and openness and authenticity. Now, some Christians confuse um, honesty with unbelief with the idea that talking about unanswered prayer is going to somehow undermine the idea that we have faith. But I don't think that having cultures of honesty, um, you know, here as a church at St. Saviour's, in our life groups, in our friendships, in our prayer triplets, or whatever it is, I don't think um, having a culture of honesty means that that there's somehow uh, unbelief going on. I think it's actually a form of faith. So what do I mean by that? Well, if we don't believe that God answers prayer, there's no struggle with unanswered prayer, is there? Because we say, well, I I didn't believe it was going to happen anyway. So it's a form of faith. And I think if we do believe that God answers our prayers, then we're probably going to wrestle at some point in our life with the fact that sometimes he doesn't seem to answer them. It's interesting, isn't it, um, that over half the book of Psalms, which we so often um, go to, are not actually sort of happy, clappy, powerful celebrations of the wonder of life and God, which a lot of them are, and they're wonderful. But more than half of them are actually laments. There are corporate laments, and they're quite full on. So from Psalm 44, uh, verse 11, God, you gave us up to be devoured like sheep. And personal laments like uh, 69 verse 3, I'm worn out for calling for help, 
my throat is parched, my eyes, my eyes fail me looking for God. Or Psalm 89, verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? In fact, the word Israel from the Hebrew Yisrael means God contended. So the idea of wrestling and struggling with unanswered prayer is fundamental to our faith. So that's my first point. Unanswered prayer is normal. For my second point, I want to explore a question, which is this. How can we explain unanswered prayer? So unanswered prayer is normal, but why do we have to live with unanswered prayer? Why doesn't God sometimes answer those prayers? The short answer is, unfortunately, there is no easy answer to that question. But I think it could be helpful to think about it in terms of three things. And those are God's world, God's will, and God's war. So firstly, God's world. I think some prayers aren't answered just because that's the way God's created the world to be. So Fred, on Monday, when he was praying, God, please let the snow stay, you know, the fact that it melted away was not what he wanted. But equally around the corner, there was probably some office worker going, God, please let me be able to get home, let the snow melt away. You know, that's, it's God's world. Some of those things happen. We live on this planet with um, seven billion people, so sometimes your team is not going to win the cup. So I'm really sorry if you were one of the losing rugby teams over the weekend. <laughs> That's just the way life is. It's God's world. So what about God's will? Well, remember the verse um, from the Lord's Prayer that we're um, looking at today is, your will be done. Your will be done. So that's Matthew 6, verse 10. And of course, Jesus prays um, in the prayer, yet not what I will, but what you will. Sometimes we do just have to accept that God knows best. When I was 24, I decided I wanted to go to Brazil and um, do some kind of mission work for a while. So I applied to um, an organization, was really keen to get there, and I prayed and prayed and prayed that I would get onto this team um, to leave in, um, I think it was October, sometime like that. And so I was really gutted when, for various reasons, I didn't make it onto that team. Um, I actually did get onto a team to go, but six months later, but that wasn't the one I wanted. I was really upset. But in that six months, I met Mike. <laughs> yeah. So, sometimes we can pray easily, can't we? Thank you, God, that your ways are not my ways. Thank you that you actually didn't answer that prayer, because then, you know, we might not have met. Now, that's a lovely, easy example, but obviously in times of tragedy, in times of um, big unanswered prayers, like when someone dies um, or when we're wrestling with singleness or someone that we're longing to see come to faith that doesn't, you know, those kind of things are much more difficult to explain and um, much more difficult to make sense of the idea that God might know best. And I think that's when we have to talk about God's war. What do I mean by God's war? Well, the Bible teaches that there are things that happen in this world that God does not want to happen. When a woman is raped, I don't believe that's the will of God. When a child is run over, I don't believe that is the will of God. When the helicopter that Hannah was in crashed, I don't believe that was the will of God. So I think God's war is the reality that the world we live in is broken and bad things do happen. 
But the reality of God's war is also that he's able to take those things and turn them into something good. Romans 8 verse 28 says, All things work together for the good of those who love God. And the amazing truth about our faith is that despite the world being broken, we have hope. We believe in eternity. So sometimes we will lose people. We will lose battles. Sorry, I didn't expect that to pop out there. I was thinking about Marion. Sometimes we do lose people and we face disappointments. But what's amazing about God is that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope. Ultimately, God wins. Ultimately, Satan fails. And there is an eternity. There is a heaven. There is hope. And so um, those three things might help us sort of wrestle with that question. God's will, God's war, God's world. But I think it's also worth mentioning that ultimately a lot of unanswered prayer remains a mystery. And, and we don't know why it happens. And we won't know why it happens. And I think as Christians, it's okay to acknowledge that. In fact, we need to acknowledge that. And it's part of the crazy Christian tension that we live in in this world. And that that is somehow okay. So in the light of that, for my third point, um, I want to consider another question, which is, how, how can we keep on praying? How do we keep going? when we feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? And I think this question is, again, most pertinent when, um, and most difficult when we're facing our darkest times, what St. John of the Cross famously called the dark night of the soul. And I want to go back to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane at this point. So let's um, just look at this verse again together. Mark 14, verse 36. Jesus is facing the cross. This is his darkest hour, his dark night of the soul, if you like. And I'm just going to read that prayer again. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, there's obviously a lot that we can learn from Jesus' prayer, and I think these 21 words are really key for us as we work out how to keep going, how to persevere. And I just want to draw out four tips to help us. My first tip is don't give up on God's love. If we want to keep going, we need to know that God loves us. So this is Abba Father in the prayer. When Hannah disappeared, despite my mini crises of faith when I was praying for her to be found and she wasn't, I still experienced the love of God. I knew the love of God. I knew he was with me. I lived with Psalm 139 verse 9. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. My stepbrother, who um, isn't really into God, um, was also a great friend of Hannah's. There were three families, and we all sort of grew up together. He said to me months afterwards, he said, you know, Bex, I've been watching you to see whether you were going to lose your faith over this and to see whether you really believed that God loved you, whether you really believed that God loved Hannah and allowed that to happen. 
And he said, I'm, I've been really surprised. He said, you've surprised me because you seem to believe all the more strongly in God's love and his goodness towards you and towards Hannah. And I think pretty much, rather than losing my faith, my faith was the only thing that held me together at that time. God's love. You'll remember that Mike uh, spoke about Abba Father in the first week when we were looking at adoration from the Lord's Prayer. And Abba means daddy, and it speaks of great intimacy of relationship. So even in Jesus' darkest hour, he's secure in the knowledge that he's loved by his Abba, his Father in heaven. He doesn't give up on the Father's love for him. And the Bible has endless references of God's love for us, doesn't it? Ephesians 3 verse 18, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. John 3:16, for God so loved the world. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So like Jesus, let's be confident in the Father's love for us. And what does that mean practically? Well, um, one thing I like to do when I'm I'm feeling like I'm not in that space, is just to go back to those kind of verses and to read them and to read them aloud over over myself. Um, I've got a friend as well who um, reads the Lord's Prayer every day because it starts with the Father and it's a great reminder that we are loved by the Father. So there's a couple of practical things you could do. So that's my first tip. Don't give up on God's love. My second tip to help us keep praying is don't give up on God's power. This is everything is possible for you in Jesus' prayer. So again, when I was praying for Hannah to be found, I knew it was perfectly possible for God to find the helicopter, to find Hannah. I'd experienced his power many times before in my lives. I'd seen his power at work in other people's lives many times. But it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Yet, during the weeks and months that the the search went on, Mike and I planted a church, and we saw God do amazing things. We saw amazing answers to prayer. It was a really exciting time. And, uh, you know, Mike, um, I think, and David and Sarah alluded to that sort of, the many tensions we live with as Christians the death and the resurrection life, the, the kingdom now and not yet, the unanswered prayer, the, un- the answered prayer, the suffering, the healing. And I think, you know, it's really important to acknowledge that we actually do live in that tension. That's a daily reality. But what that doesn't mean is to give up on God's power. Um, so to not give up on it, how do we do that practically? Well, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to put my hands up and say, I don't really get how this whole thing works with God, how sometimes his power just comes in and sometimes it doesn't. But because it sometimes does, I'm going to go for it. I am going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray for people to become Christians. I'm going to pray for power because God can and does intervene and because he can and does perform miracles. The other thing um, I find helpful is to... Um, ask people their stories. I don't know about you, I love people, hearing people's stories because um, despite the unanswered prayer that is inevitably there, there are also stories of God's power and transformation in people's lives. 
Um, another thing I love doing that I find really helpful is praying for people at the end of services, where you're getting to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're on the ministry team, don't lose sight of God's power. Come and pray for people. And if you're not on the ministry team, here's my plug. <laughs> Tomorrow night, 7.30, I would love you to come. Come and learn how to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's actually really simple, but it's really exciting getting to be part of that, getting to do the stuff. So um, come along tomorrow. So there's a couple of tips again, practical tips on how to not lose sight of God's power. My third tip is to be honest. This is the um, take this cup from me prayer. After losing Hannah, um, I went up onto a mountain behind our house in New Zealand called Mount Eden. It was like a volcanic crater at the top with a view of the whole um, city and the sea on both sides. It's one of the narrowest points in New Zealand. Beautiful, stunning place to be. And I yelled, and I ranted, and I shouted, uh, and I cried. I just needed to be totally honest with God. And being totally honest and exposed like that actually really helped me. I mean, it didn't change a thing, but it definitely made me feel better. <laughs> so when Jesus says, take this cup from me, this is Jesus saying he doesn't want to die on the cross. He doesn't want to do what he knows he's got to do, what's coming. And you know what? It's not going to change a thing, but it probably made him feel better. <laughs> and if he can be that honest, then so can we. And I talked earlier about creating cultures of honesty as a church and in our personal relationships. That has to start with our relationship with God. So let's be honest with him. I don't want to suffer God. I don't want my friend to die. I didn't want Marion to die. I really... You know, actually, God, I really fancy that person. I really want to go out with them. <laughs> God, I really need a car parking space. I know this is my most regular prayer, but I really need one this time. <laughs> it's good to be honest, because God loves us warts and all. He knows us warts and all. And that's very freeing. So let's start with honesty with God on every level, the small and the big. And let's be honest with each other. We don't need to pretend we've got it all going on, you know, hi, we're there on a Sunday, I've got my hair done, I've got my boots, you know. Actually, let's just be honest about where we're at and about the fact that maybe our families aren't perfect. I know you did wonder about my children, they do always obviously behave perfectly in church. <laughs> um, but let's be real and vulnerable and family with each other. And I obviously mean that in an appropriate and boundaried way. So hear me please, don't stop being inappropriate now on, on giving too much away at, at the wrong times. <laughs> but my practical advice would be, you know, the next time someone comes up and says in church, oh, how's it going? You, you can do the good things, that's completely appropriate, but if it's a friend, you say, you know what, actually, this has been a bit rubbish, or whatever the thing is, or if someone says, how's your prayer life? You know, if it's great, tell them it's great, but if it's not, you can tell them it's not, that's okay. I think this sort of honesty invites um, trust and intimacy and allows us to pray for one another and support one another. And I think another part of being honest is um, also the challenge of processing unanswered prayer in our lives. Because if we don't deal with disappointment, it can really, um, we can get stuck in it and we can become bitter, can't we? So on a practical level, if, if you feel you've got some processing to do, I would just own that and uh, talk to people that you trust 
get some help if you need it. Um, coming back to that prophetic picture that, um, I'm sorry, I don't know the lady's name who was up at the beginning, the prophetic picture she had of the sea. You know, let's get rid of the rubbish so we can go for a swim. It's so much more fun, swimming. <clears throat> so that's my third tip, be honest. My last tip, my fourth tip, is to trust God. So when we haven't given up on God's love or God's power, and we've been honest with God, we need to trust him. At the end of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, yet not what I will, but what you will. And somehow, somewhere, somewhere towards the end of our um, time in New Zealand, Mike and I began to feel strangely unsettled. Now, our old church, St. Paul's, was going great guns. It was um, sort of at its peak of health. It was thriving. Uh, we had uh, a great sort of circle of friends. We were having a good social time. Our boys were really happy and settled. We had a good life. And yet, as time wore on, we sensed that the Holy Spirit was calling us on. God was calling us on to something different. And I have to say, um, that didn't go down very well with me to start with. Um, I remember driving along the waterfront, beautiful sea, <laughs> saying, God, I know you love me. I, I do trust you. I know you want the best for me. Um, but I don't really want to go. <laughs> I don't want to leave this life. And yet, not what I will, but what you will. And in that process of leaving New Zealand, I had a fresh experience of trusting God, of God's call and adventure, of crazy answers to prayer, and new life opening up. And Mike and I were totally delighted when he was offered um, the job here at St. Saviour's. And coming here, this was the crazy thing. Knowing no one in Guildford, knowing no one at the church, we felt strangely at home, and that we were in exactly the right place for this time. And what we've loved about this place is the people. That's you guys. You are an amazing group of gifted and talented people. And um, you obviously want to see God's kingdom come here in Guildford. And we have loved your welcome and openness to us. We've loved the energy and commitment of people ready to get stuck in, to serve, to get their hands dirty, and to make a difference in all kinds of areas, uh, both in and outside the church. So I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being part of mine and Mike's story and being part of helping us grow in our trust of God as we've moved. And what I love now is that we're now sharing this story. This is our story together. So let's trust in him together and see what he has for us. New life, new hope, new things. It's exciting. When Jesus prays, yet not what I will, but what you will, it speaks of total surrender and total trust and real faithfulness. And as we all know, Jesus did go to the cross and he did die. That was the will of the Father. But it was also the Father's will that he um, would be resurrected, he would rise again and defeat death. So God's will was and is the resurrection life. It's hope and transformation and again, it's that tension of death and life, of answered prayer and unanswered prayer. And I think this is constant in our lives with God. And, and it actually makes us trust him more. So let's trust him and live in that resurrection life. So practically, I think this involves um, us taking some risks. Pushing doors even when we don't have the complete picture. 
holding on to things lightly, being bold, choosing to see the bigger picture at times when we don't understand the small things that are happening. You know, David and Sarah in their prayer sort of talked about being on the front line, like when you're inviting people to, um, along to Alpha. Why not? Just go for it. It will grow our trust. Bring people along to the, to the Alpha course on Tuesday. So be open to the new. There's a few, uh, few tips there. Um, I just wanted to um, end by um, completing the story of my friend Hannah. Um, because in the years after my friend disappeared, her mum, uh, I used to chat quite a bit to her mum, and she would say, Bex, I'm so glad you're in New Zealand because you're looking out for her for me. You know, you're, you're there with her. Then one morning, I was having breakfast um, with my boys, and um, my mum rang, and she said, Bex, I've got some news. I said, oh, what's that? She said, um, they found Hannah. I said, what? So they found, the, um, they found the wreck. This was nine years after she disappeared. And um, a pilot had spotted the sun glinting off a little tiny piece of metal way down in a really inaccessible um, part of um, the mountain where the snow had melted away. And they found the site. So later that day, I was talking to Hannah's mum, and she said to me, you know, Bex, you can come home now. It's okay. You can come home. Um, and it was a really kind of odd thing for her to say, but that completely coincided with the time that God was calling us and unsettling us and bringing us here. And I just wanted to tell you, because it was um, a really important part for me of the, the story um, of trusting God, the having that closure and resolution that we were finally able to bury her after nine years. So that's my fourth tip to trust in God. So as I finish, I just think it's um, really important for us to remember that um, and to recognize that God's silence is not his absence. God's silence is not his absence. Just because our prayers aren't working or that God seems a million miles away doesn't mean he actually is a million miles away. He promises in the Bible, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13 verse 5. So I think it's really good for us to remember that unanswered prayer is normal. That the reasons for unanswered prayer do often remain a mystery and that's okay. But let's persevere, let's keep going. Don't give up on God's love. Don't give up on God's power. Let's be honest with God and each other. And let's trust completely in God as we live this adventure together at St. Saviour's. Amen.